Rico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report for WFHB. I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. Today in our feature, Enrique Sands from the Indiana Environmental Reporter talks about coal ash disposal in Chesterton, Indiana. That's coming up later in the program, but first your environmental headlines. The Muncie, Indiana Star Press reports that Aqua Bounty Technologies, a land-based salmon farming pioneer, has successfully commenced the commercial-scale harvest of conventional Atlantic salmon raised at its first farm in the United States. The paper reports on Aquabounty's first harvest at its Albany, Indiana farm. As part of the effort, the company has established the necessary supply chain connections to key markets and is formalizing commercial customer agreements. Land-based aquaculture is a method for supplying fresh and healthy salmon. This harvest is a result of Aquabounty's almost 30 years of experience in raising Atlantic salmon. With rising concerns about the safety and security of our food sources, Aquabounty offers a consistent supply of salmon that is raised domestically in the U.S. The farm is monitored closely in a disease-free environment without the use of antibiotics. The Indiana-based farm will ramp up monthly harvest of conventional salmon throughout the summer and plans to reach 100 metric tons per month by early next year. The annual capacity of the farm is approximately 1,200 metric tons. With this harvest of conventional Atlantic salmon underway, Aquabounty will prepare for the first commercial harvest of its proprietary genetically engineered AquaAdvantage salmon in the fourth quarter of this year at the Indiana farm. Aquabounty currently is the first and only provider of genetically engineered Atlantic salmon approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration and Health Canada. It is said that there are two sides to every story. Next, we offer a different view of Aquavantage salmon. Aquavantage salmon are the world's first genetically modified, or GM, food animal sold and eaten in the U.S. Aquavantage salmon have been genetically modified to carry genes from other species of fish. Specifically, growth-promoting genes from a Chinook salmon and an ocean pout. Aqua Advantage salmon are voracious eaters and grow twice as fast as ordinary salmon. Thus, they reach the market faster and increase Aqua Bounty's profits. In 2018, the Food and Drug Administration approved the first U.S. facility for the production of GM salmon in Indiana, as mentioned in the previous story. Little is known about the safety of Aqua Advantage salmon for humans. What is known comes not from independent scientists, but largely from research 
published by the Food and Drug Administration and performed or paid for by Aqua Bounty. According to a coalition of environment groups in Canada and the U.S., the science doesn't exist to prove that Aqua Advantage salmon is safe for human health. No animal or human feeding trials have been done, at least none that are known to the public. According to Alexis Baden-Meyer of the Organic Consumers Association, in testimony presented to the Food and Drug Administration during hearings on the salmon, AquaAdvantage salmon shouldn't be approved for human consumption because the data doesn't show that such salmon are similar enough to normal salmon to be considered safe. According to Baden-Meyer, quote, the data show that genetically engineered and normal salmon do not have the same hormone levels, nutrition, or allergenic potencies, end quote. AquaAdvantage salmon have 40% more insulin-like growth factor 1 than normal salmon. That growth hormone is instrumental in normal growth in human childhood, but in adulthood can promote abnormal growth, including the spread of cancer cells. Elevated levels of the hormone are linked to prostate, breast, and colon cancer in humans. Tim Schwab, a food researcher with Food and Water Watch, says that the fact that AquaBounty used testing methods that failed to detect any growth hormone, quote, really raised eyebrows in the scientific community, end quote. AquaAdvantage salmon are less nutritious than normal salmon. They had the lowest ratio of omega-3 to omega-6 fatty acid, both essential nutrients, in all the salmon the Food and Drug Administration reviewed. The data also showed that GM salmon have greater allergic potencies than normal salmon increasing the risk of potentially deadly allergic reactions in people who eat them. According to J.D. Harrison, senior policy analyst at the Center for Food Safety, in AquaBounty's studies of allergens, the company used an unscientific sample size of just six fish, which showed levels of allergens high enough to cause concern. Hansen also said the aqua-advantaged salmon appear to have more skeletal and gill defects and inflammation than normal salmon. Hansen thinks these deformities could leave the salmon more vulnerable to harmful microorganisms resulting in antibiotic treatments. Michael Hansen, senior scientist at the Consumers Union, said that aqua-advantaged salmon's daily intake of corn and soy feed, which is not their natural food, could cause intestinal illness and could lead to even more antibiotic use. In Bayer Madden's opinion, quote, with all that we know and all that we don't know about GM salmon, there is no other way to protect public health than to keep it out of the food supply, end quote. Several large grocery stores, including Safeway, Costco, Kroger, Target, Trader Joe's, and Whole Foods, have pledged not to stock Aqua Advantage salmon after campaigns by consumer groups. In short, Aqua Advantage salmon are controversial. Duke Energy is seeking to have customers pay for the company operating inefficient and costly coal-fired utility plants. The National Business Group Advanced Energy Economy filed its initial testimony before the Indiana Utility Regulatory Commission, calling for the commission to no longer allow Duke Energy Indiana to pass along costs to customers.
quote, Hoosiers should not have to pay more so the state's utilities can continue to run power plants that are dirty and uneconomic, end quote, said Dylan Reed, Director of Advanced Energy Economy. Quote, because of a regulatory loophole that lets utilities decide when to run their plants, regardless of cost, Duke was able to overcharge consumers by more than $20 million in just three months in 2019. That has to stop, end quote. One of the plants racking up losses is Edwardsport. This plant was built under the Daniels administration and promoted as a, quote, clean coal, end quote, operation. The plant has been a boondoggle from the beginning. There were all kinds of engineering problems. So now Duke wants customers to pay for their failures. A new analysis by scientists at the Swiss-based International Union for Conservation of Nature, or IUCN, found that lemurs and the North Atlantic right whale are on the brink of extinction. For lemurs, the analysis found that almost one-third of the species in Madagascar are critically endangered, while 98% are threatened or worse, according to the IUCN's updated red list of threatened species. The demise of lemurs is largely attributed to deforestation and hunting in Madagascar. To put that in numbers instead of percentages, 33 lemur species are critically endangered, with 103 of the 107 surviving species threatened with extinction, according to IUCN. The updated list now has 13 species pushed into the critically endangered category due to human activity. According to Gretel Aguilar of IUCN, the single most important issue in Madagascar is the need for alternative, sustainable livelihoods to replace the current reliance on deforestation and unsustainable use of wildlife. 93% of the original forests have been logged. The reason there are so many species of lemurs is the island has a broad variety of microclimates, from areas that rarely receive rain to areas that receive feet of rain. IUCN also says there are fewer than 250 mature North Atlantic right whales. That number includes about only 100 breeding females. This year has been the greatest number of births in several years, at 10 calves. At the end of June, one dead whale was spotted off the coast of New Jersey. That six-month-old calf had been struck several times on the head, suggesting one or possibly two vehicle collisions, according to the New York Times. Collisions with ships, entanglements in fishing nets, and underwater noise pollution are killing the animals, which rely on echolocation for basic activities such as feeding, communicating, and finding mates. There are measures that could be taken that would reduce the toll, but the shipping and fishing industries have been unwilling to make the sacrifices. The North Atlantic right whale also faces an increased threat from the climate crisis. The IUCN says that warming ocean temperatures have most likely pushed the species' main prey species, copepods, farther north during summer into the Gulf of St. Lawrence, where the whales are more exposed to accidental encounters with ships 
and also at high risk of entanglement in crab pot ropes. When the electric car revolution arrives, will there be enough places to plug in? There are now 26,000 electric vehicle, or EV, charging stations open to the public in the U.S. But the country and the world will need thousands more if drivers are going to adopt vehicles powered by batteries alone. And because they're being asked to invest before that demand arrives, automakers and charging companies are struggling to raise the numbers. Currently, EVs make up only about 1% of total new vehicle sales in the U.S., according to the Edmunds.com auto site. Electrics are much more popular in other countries, accounting for 3% of global new vehicle sales last year, the International Energy Agency says. General Motors and charging station operator Evgo said they will build over 2,700 new fast-charging plugs across the U.S. The construction will take place over the next five years. At some point, probably in a few years, the price of an all-electric vehicle will fall far enough to equal the cost of an equivalent gas-powered vehicle. We know that that day is coming, probably by 2024 and almost definitely by 2025. That's according to Venkat Viswanathan and his team of researchers at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. They developed a model to calculate the cost of EV batteries that breaks down the costs of each component and then predicts changes over time. The cost of EVs is mostly dependent upon the cost of batteries, which are the most expensive components in the vehicle and also the ones for which the costs are changing most quickly. Analysts and researchers have said for years that a battery price of $100 per kilowatt hour is the point at which EVs become cost competitive with gasoline vehicles. Last year, the global average price was down to $156 per kilowatt hour, according to Bloomberg. Ten years ago, the cost was over $1,000 per kilowatt hour. The model developed by Viswanathan and his colleagues shows that battery packs are on track to cost less than $80 per kilowatt hour by 2025. Viswanathan said cost parity will arrive first for small sedans that now sell for $30,000 or less. It will take longer for automakers to develop electric trucks and SUVs that cost about the same as similar gasoline models. One of the big reasons we will need to wait longer for larger vehicles is that trucks and SUVs need a lot of power for towing capacity, which means larger battery packs and higher costs. The EPA has decided to reapprove glyphosate, the active ingredient in the Monsanto Bayer weed killer Roundup for use in the U.S. for another 15 years. This decision came even though in March 2015, the World Health Organization's International Agency for Research on Cancer deemed glyphosate a, quote, probable human carcinogen, end quote. December 2000 was the last deadline for a new review of glyphosate. However, it took three and a half years of dragging its feet for the EPA to make its decision based on the claim that glyphosate poses, quote, no risk to public health, end quote. Critics of glyphosate say the herbicide should have been banned, not reapproved. 
In three cases, jury trials have sided with the plaintiffs who claimed that they developed non-Hodgkin lymphoma, a type of blood cancer, from exposure to glyphosate. Thousands more lawsuits are waiting in the wings. Evidence uncovered in the trials revealed that Monsanto Bayer had known about glyphosate's cancer-causing ability for years and that EPA officials colluded with the company to cover up the truth from farmers and consumers. In making its decision to reapprove, the EPA took into consideration only the pro-glyphosate studies that the manufacturer produced and ignored almost two decades' worth of newer, independent, peer-reviewed studies linking glyphosate to health and environmental problems. Uranium has a deadly legacy in the Grand Canyon region, and that's one reason the U.S. House of Representatives passed a defense spending bill that includes a permanent ban on new uranium mines in the area. The primary group adversely affected are the miners. They have a high rate of lung cancer. The House passed the National Defense Authorization Act with an amendment, the Grand Canyon Centennial Protection Act. The amendment would permanently ban any new uranium mines on approximately one million acres of public land near the Grand Canyon, according to a press release from the Grand Canyon Trust. There currently is a 20-year ban on new mining that's set to expire in 2032, but the Trump administration has tried to lift it. Amber Raimondo, the Energy Program Director for the Grand Canyon Trust, says Congress is the only governmental body that can permanently ban new ventures in the area. The Senate's version of the defense spending bill passed, but as it is, does not have the Grand Canyon Centennial Protection Act in it. Raimondo said the versions of the spending bills will next go to a conference committee to be negotiated. Environmentalists are blasting a Trump administration call for bold action to revive and strengthen the uranium mining industry, an industry whose history, they say, has left a toxic trail through the Grand Canyon. They are responding to a report last week by the Department of Energy's Nuclear Fuel Working Group, which called for the government to support both uranium mining and nuclear power technology to preserve national security. Now for our feature, we will hear Enrique Sands from the Indiana Environmental Reporter talk about coal ash disposal in Chesterton, Indiana. The EPA has a plan to close an inactive coal-fired power plant in Chesterton and wants to know what you think about it. The agency has opened the 45-day public comment period for the proposed cleanup plan of Area C of the Northern Indiana's Public Service Companies, or NIPSCO's, Bailey Generating Station. The site is about 15 miles west of Michigan City, right between Arcelor Middle's Burn Harbor Steel Plant and the Indiana Dunes National Park. Bailey started operating as a coal-fired power plant in 1962 and recently closed in 2018. The site has been undergoing what the EPA calls RICRA corrective action since 2005. That means the EPA is overseeing a cleanup of the Bailey plant site while it's still operating, and making NIPSCO pay for the efforts. The site was broken up into three areas for the purposes of the investigation. Area A, which included the areas of active work including coal storage, burning, and electricity generation. Area B, the center of the site, which comprises several coal ash ponds. 
and Area C, the on-site area beside the Indiana Dunes National Park that was basically used as a landfill during the 1960s and 1970s. This is EPA project manager Michelle Quezon. Area C includes the on-site area that was used in the 60s and 70s to dispose of coal combustion residual, also called coal ash or CCR, and is the main subject of this proposed cleanup. Unlike the ponds, this disposal area was not a regulated unit, but rather a historic disposal area that functioned like a landfill. However, the area was not engineered to receive waste back in the 60s, and so has become a source of contamination. The areas known to have been used to store or dispose of waste are called solid waste management units. The EPA calls them schmooze. One of the schmooze, Schmoo 15, was found to pose an ecological risk to the plants and wildlife at the national park. The main threat was boron, an element found in coal ash. Now that's a big deal because the Indiana dunes represent a globally rare environment that can only be found in the Great Lakes region. The area is home to 30% of Indiana's rare and endangered species. The EPA decided that based on the risk to the park, the Area C cleanup needed to include some way to stop the contamination from leaving the area. Coal ash is the byproduct that's left after burning coal for electricity. Coal is mostly carbon, which is why it's burned, but it also contains an accumulation of naturally occurring elements, mostly metals. After coal is burned, the metals are often left behind in the ash. When ash isn't disposed of properly, it can contaminate the environment with the metals. In order for NIPSCO to understand how SHMU-15 could be addressed, further investigation was needed. SHMU-15 presents a unique challenge because ash is buried underground up to 25 feet deep. Of the approximate 200,000 cubic yards of ash present, about half of it is submerged in groundwater. It's the ash in that underground water that is contributing metals to the park as the water naturally moves through SHMU-15. The EPA is recommending NIPSCO undertake a cleanup method called in-situ solidification and stabilization, or ISS. If this proposal is chosen, about 90,000 cubic yards of coal ash above groundwater will be excavated and sent off-site for disposal at NIPSCO's landfill in Wheatfield. About 85,000 cubic yards of coal ash in and under the groundwater level will be mixed with a binding agent basically turning it all into a large mass that is unlikely to release contamination. There are other plans being considered, but this is the one most likely to be chosen. You can tell the EPA what you think should be done at the site by submitting your comments online, over the phone, by fax, or by mail services. We'll post a link to those options at our website, indianaenvironmentalreporter.org. For EcoReport, I'm Sarah Callanan. And I'm Patrick Callanan. Support for EcoReport comes from Blooming Foods Market and Deli, Bloomington's locally grown co-op grocery store since 1976, offering products with a focus on local, fair, trade, natural, and organic, with support for farmers, producers, agencies, and artisans. Blooming Foods Market in Delhi on East 3rd Street near College Mall, West 6th Street near the Courthouse Square, and Shreve Hall on the Ivy Tech campus. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? 
Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for EcoReport, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for our events calendar. There will be a creek stomp at Spring Mill State Park on Saturday, August 8th from 3 to 3.30 p.m. Feel the cool spring water on your feet as you explore who calls the creek home. Learn why these little critters are so important. The event is limited to 20 people. Meet by the Village Ordinary. On Wednesday, August 12th, from 6 to 7.30 p.m., you have an opportunity to join the naturalist at the Paintown State Recreation Area at Monroe Lake to learn all about hidden herbs and secret spices. Watch for the naturalist walking through the campground to learn about native plants traditionally used to flavor food. Enjoy a summer wildflower hike at Spring Mill State Park on Wednesday, August 12th from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Join Anthony for a moderate two-mile hike on the mountain bike trail. Meet at the pool parking lot. This event is limited to 20 people. Take a wildflower hike at McCormick's Creek State Park on Friday, August 14th at 1 p.m. This program is designed to take your understanding of plants to a new level. Meet at the Deer Run Shelter to learn about native plants and their place in the ecosystem. Topics will cover identification, plant life cycles, history, and edible, medicinal, and poisonous plants. 80 citizen scientists are needed to collect water samples from the streams that flow into Lake Monroe. Friends of Lake Monroe and the IU Limnology Lab are hosting a sampling event on September 18th. You will receive online training before the event. More information and a registration form is available at friendsoflakemonroe.org slash event slash watershed-sampling dash blitz. Please register by August 28th. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar power systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolar.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrique Sands. David Lyman wrote the script and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. 
For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report, a volunteer powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source for South Central Indiana, bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.